Um, when I had, uh, my wife had asked me yesterday, what are you going to be talking about tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm going to talk about right and wrong reasons to leave a church. And she said, well, you're brave. <laughs> I said, well, Say, well, I'm either brave or I'm foolhardy, so here we go. Um, let me preface by saying, obviously, we've, we've gone through a lot of transitions as a church in the last four or five months. By my best estimate, because of all that's happened, we've lost approximately a third of the congregation. And I'm sharing this not because I'm standing up here before you afraid that the next third is getting ready to leave or anything of that nature. I think things are, are pretty much tending to, from my perspective, settle down at this point. And, and the, the ones that are still here, if you've made it this far, I'm pretty confident that you have some sense from the Lord that you're supposed to be here. But uh, I'm sharing this more because in the midst of all of these kind of uh, tumultuous circumstances, it's very easy for all of us to have our focus shifted from the principles of God's Word in any area of life to the circumstance that tends to be driving us as a people. And to some extent, it's been unavoidable, but the circumstances that we've passed through have been kind of a driving circumstance. They've had their own impact and influence on all of our lives. And I, I just felt it in my heart by the Lord to stop and at this juncture to, to rehearse some basic principles from the scriptures that hopefully will be uh, an anchor point for all of us, for the future, for whatever individual plan and purpose God has for each one of our lives and each one of the households that's currently a member of this church. You'll have to trust me on this. I did not, in preparing this message, have anybody in particular in mind, either that's still here or has left the church. Um, the things that the Lord has put in my heart are things really that the Lord has taught me years ago, since even before coming and becoming part of Chatsworth Christian Church myself. And the principles that I'm going to be sharing with you are things that were worked out, were kind of hammered out on the anvil of God taking me through some life experiences of my own before bringing me here. And one of the things I wanted to do before we go into the scriptures, though I do want to end up there today, is share with you a little bit of my own personal story uh, in terms of church relationship. Most of you have never had the opportunity to hear me share about these particular things. And I think um, as I was considering about this, I, I think that there are some lessons that I've learned from my own experience that I think would be helpful and beneficial to all of us. In 19 years as a believer, just a little over 19 years now, I've had the, the privilege to be part of three churches, three local congregations, this being the third one. And um, so right up front, that implies to you that I've left twice before somewhere else. You know, so I, I know what it means to leave a church. And when I say uh, I want to talk about right and wrong reasons, from my own experience, I can tell you that in the two prior experiences I had from leaving a church myself, I left one for the wrong reason, in the wrong way, in the wrong timing, and I experienced some consequences in my life as a result. And I grew through that experience. And then I left another church for the right reason, in the right time, and in the right way, and the fruit, I believe, that God has produced in and through my life by being here, because that was the last church I was part of before coming here, 
has been the testimony that I had learned my lesson. I had learned what I needed to learn from the first bad experience. And my intent in sharing these things with you this morning is I'm hoping for all of our benefits, not just for your own personal life, but you interact with other people and, and for everyone's benefit, hopefully we can all learn these lessons because I believe they are basic principles of church life and church relationship, kingdom principles that should, in a sense, um, they should rule over any individual decisions that we ever need to make. And there, there do come times when we're faced with the decision of, should I stay, should I go, uh, where would the Lord have me to be? Well, my, my, the first church I was part of, I didn't, I didn't become a, a Christian, uh, I mean, I didn't become a, a church member right off the bat after becoming a Christian. I came to know the Lord in kind of an unusual circumstance where uh, the Lord drew me to himself, not the, uh, not the usual way of somebody actually witnessing to me or inviting me to church. I came to know the Lord through the, kind of the indirect testimony of a believer. And in coming to know the Lord, I, I started to fellowship with this one person that I had met that, that I knew was a, a Christian. I knew they knew the Lord in the way that I, I think uh, was different than the, the kind of traditional, in my perspective at that time, uh, what I would call church life that was dead and nothing that I wanted to be part of. But this person really knew the Lord. And the Lord used this person's life and testimony to draw me to know the Lord. And I started to fellowship with them, and they started to fellowship with me. The only problem in this person's life at the time was that they were not part of a church because they had some real issues in their life in terms of what it meant to be committed to and a, a member of a body. And so I just followed this person's example, and for the first four months as a believer, I didn't go to church, and I, I, I didn't participate in church life in that way. I had Christian fellowship at a very minimal level with this one other person. But as I began to read the Bible, and as I began to, to read the New Testament in particular and the book of Acts and, and the letters to the churches, I began to realize that God had something in his heart for, for my life that I, at that point, hadn't been open to yet, which was to become part of a body of people, that he had, he had a, a corporate purpose for my life, that he wanted me to be connected to a, something larger than myself, and that there was, there was going to be a fulfillment in my life that was only going to come about if I would be willing to follow the Lord in that corporate commitment. And so I began to seek the Lord and ask the Lord to lead me to where he had for me. And the Lord did that. He was faithful to do that. He led me to a church up in the, the place I lived at the time, which was up in Topanga Canyon, up in, up, way up deep in the canyon. I had lived there for about six or seven years at the time. And there was a little country church up there in the canyon that I, that I joined. And um, I was there for a couple of years, and I did grow in the Lord there, I, I, uh, because I was hungry and desirous of growing, and I would read my Bible, and I faithfully attended Sunday service and Bible study, and was involved in all the things that I could get involved in. The problem with that particular church, and I have no problem uh, commenting about it at the time, or at this time, because the church doesn't exist anymore, it, it, um, it folded, and I think there's still another church that's meeting in that building, but it's not the same entity any longer. But the problem with that church is that the, uh, the church was led by a man, good-hearted man. He loved the Lord with all of his heart, but it was led by a man that really had no business being a pastor. 
he was a man that was, in my estimation, at the time I didn't know, but now looking back with, with uh, some biblical perspective and from, with some years of experience, he was called to be an evangelist, and he was a gifted evangelist. And every Friday night, we would get in his van, and we would drive down to Hollywood Boulevard, and we would witness on the streets of Hollywood, and we would you know, be blessed to lead people to the Lord. And he'd bring those people, and we'd, we'd bring them back up to the canyon and get them involved in the church. And, They'd stay at the church for about a month or six weeks or two months, and then they'd fade away and they'd go join some other church. And the reason for that was that this man was gifted to bring people to the Lord, but he had absolutely no clue what it meant to shepherd a flock of people. And the reason for that wasn't because his heart wasn't there. So see, he had no gift in that area. He was not a teacher. He was not a shepherd of people. He was an evangelist. And you all know from from the, the biblical material, from the New Testament, that each, each member of the body is given a particular measure of grace by God. And when we, when we find what our measure of grace is and we flow in that area, we're all blessed and the body is built up and strengthened. But if we find ourselves outside the area that God has called us to minister in, the result is that there's, there's some lack, there's, some, there's something missing. And after a couple of years of being part of this church, I began to, I had grown enough in the Lord that I began to sense there's something missing here. And I'm not growing the way I, I know I should be growing. And I would go and sit to listen to the teaching on Sunday morning. And his typical teaching was he would open the Bible and he would read a verse of scripture. And then he would take off. And that was the last you'd hear about the Bible, the rest of the message. He just didn't know how to teach. But he would tell one story after another of people he had led to the Lord over the years. And that was encouraging but after a while, you need some nourishment. You need something a little more sustaining in the instruction from God's Word. So as a result, I began to realize, I, I need to make a change here. I need to make a move. But I really loved this man, and he loved me, and we were connected in the Lord. And I was afraid to hurt his feelings. So instead of going to him and saying, you know, brother, I, I, I'm just sensing I'm not growing, and I, I think the Lord would move me on and get me established in another church where I can train under someone that has like gifts to mine and really grow and develop in the Lord. Instead of doing that, I just kind of slipped out the back door one day. And after two years of being, you got to understand, that it, it, I wasn't really thinking clearly because in a, in a large church, maybe you can effectively slip out the back door, but this church had a congregation of about 15 people. And I was, uh, I was, probably, I was probably the most committed member of the body at the time. And uh, so when I slipped out the back door, you know, it was kind of like, you know, where'd he go? What's going on here? And I was just, I was afraid to go and talk to him because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I really loved him, cared about him, but, but I was desperate and I just didn't know better. And so I just kind of faded out. And thinking to myself at the time, you know what? The Lord is going to immediately lead me to a newer and better and greater place. And so I began to pray for that to happen. And, and I was a little bit gun shy. You know how it is if you, if you feel like you've been burned in your last choice you're a little bit gun-shy to make another choice to commit to another church. You're not so sure the next place you go is not going to burn you even worse. So you're a little bit uh, cautious and hesitant, and that's, that's where I, I was. And, and so I began to attend Bible studies in different places and kind of you know, do the uh, shop-around routine and check out different, different places. And I, I, it wasn't like I stopped going to Christian fellowship altogether. I, I, every week I did something. I went somewhere, checked out some place, and went to some places more than once. 
But over the course of, for me, just a little over a year, I was without a church connection. I was without a church home, church commitment. And I was just pretty much out there on my own, just shopping around and, and checking different places out. Well, the first three months or so, it was no problem. First six months, maybe even, I was, in my perspective, I was doing well because I, I had a newfound freedom and I had a, a new excitement of going and checking out new places. But somewhere between six months and a year, for me, I began to really experience the, the consequences of my own choice. The, the choice I had made to put myself out there on my own uh, before the Lord was ready for me to be in that kind of a position. And what happened was I began to notice that my spiritual life started to deteriorate in some subtle ways. Subtle ways, nothing major. It wasn't like I just turned around and leaped off a cliff spiritually into some serious sin. I just, I just stopped, um, I stopped pressing in in some of the basic ways that we all know it's necessary to do if we're going to continue to make progress in the Lord. Stopped reading my Bible quite as, as diligently. My prayer life suffered. Uh, you know, the, the times of fellowship that I would seek out with other believers was not quite as... Uh, much there as it was before. And, and toward the end of that year, I, I just woke up one night, and it was in the middle of the night, the Lord woke me up, and I'm just looking back, I know it was the grace of God that, that God rescued me from drifting too far and too long. But I woke up one night, and I just had, uh, I, I had had a dream, and in this dream, I was drowning. And I, you know, I was going down for the count, you know, the old uh, one, two, three, uh, you know, this is it, you're going under for good. And as I woke up, from this dream, it was one of those things where I, it was kind of like being experienced as reality and I was afraid as I woke up and I, I immediately started to pray and the Lord spoke to my heart that what I was doing was I was drowning in my spiritual life because I was out there, I wasn't part of any ship, I was just out there floating in the ocean on my own and I was going down and if I didn't get myself somewhere where I could be connected that I was going to be in big trouble. And so I, I responded to that, and I started to get a little bit more serious about my search. Because um, like I said, I had been visiting places, but I had just not made any specific commitment up until that point. And so the Lord used that time to teach me some things, and I did find a new church home in Thousand Oaks, and I became part of, of another church, uh, Hillcrest Christian Center. Some of you uh, may have heard about that at one time or another. Different members of this body have at one time or another been part of that church, a few anyway, a handful. And the Lord brought me into this church and established me there for about six years. And the, the lesson that I learned from my experience with Topanga was this, is that when I made the commitment to join Hillcrest, the commitment I made before the Lord was, Lord, I am not going to leave this church until you make it abundantly clear to me, and not just to me, but to those around me that you have placed in spiritual authority and oversight for my life, because I'm going to trust that you're going to work through them and speak to them for my benefit so that I don't get myself into the same kind of hot water that I got myself this last time. I'm going to trust that somehow, some way, not that I thought those men that were in spiritual leadership there were perfect or had it all together in every sense of the word, but I'm going to trust, Lord, that you're going to work through their lives because you've shown me in the scripture that they're there for my benefit. So I just made that kind of commitment and I, I went forward there and I started to grow in the Lord. Like I said, I was there for six years. And it, it was, in my perspective, it was obviously the hand of the Lord that he eventually got me there. I began to grow and develop. I, that's where I met my wife and we, we, um, 
we started to see each other and by the grace of God somehow we made it to the day we said I do and uh, we uh, we were blessed to be married and we started to grow together and develop in the Lord and in the midst of all that about six years after becoming part of the body the Lord uh, did some things where I was a committed (coughs) committed member of the church and the Lord did some things where he began to make room for my gifts and for my particular service to the body and the pastor had approached me at one point and he had done something I think I may have mentioned this not long ago he did something that he had never done with any other excuse me just a second thank you he did something um, he had never done with any other person there at the church which was he opened his pulpit to for me to speak for six straight weeks on Sunday service and it was a blessing to me and it was like the Lord was doing something in my life and he was preparing me for something down the road and I wasn't sure exactly what I mean looking back I can see now what it was but at the time it was just a, it was the blessing of God but it was right in the midst of that time three weeks into a six weeks teaching through the book of Titus that the Lord spoke to my heart that I was to leave the church and he made it abundantly clear in private prayer time that I was to leave the church now there was no wrong thing going on with the church that motivated me to want to leave it couldn't have been better for me at that particular time I was blessed I was doing well I was growing the Lord was opening doors for my own particular service to him but what had happened at that particular time was uh, down here in Chatsworth I had a close relationship with a man named George Taggart through personal spiritual relationship we had connected through Craig Black and um, the Lord was doing some things with George and he had shut down the word of life ministry by the direction of the Lord and he was starting up a new work Chatsworth Christian Church and he had shared that with me and shared that he was doing this new thing and I had told him I, I'll commit to praying for you every day I'll pray for the church and I'll pray for what God is going to be doing in your life and it was one week into praying every day for Chatsworth Christian Church and this new thing that God was going to do that God spoke to my life and spoke to my heart and he said you are going to be part of that and I'm, I'm uprooting you from where you live and your church relationships and your home situation and I'm going to take you down and I'm going to plant you in Chatsworth and I'm going to have you to come and help this man establish the foundation for this new work and um, you know I shared that with Sandy and at the beginning she was a little bit hesitant about that because it meant uprooting everything in our whole life but as we prayed together and as we sought the Lord the Lord made it clear to her that this was his hand and at that point since I was so confident you know the Lord had shown me the Lord had shown her um, it just everything seemed right I could easily I just could easily have at that point done a similar thing to what I had done in my earlier experiences in Topanga I could have just slipped out the back door and headed on to the new thing but the Lord had established a commitment in my life and I wanted to be true to that commitment And so what I did is I I went and made an appointment with the pastor and I sat down and I shared and understand this I mean I'm three weeks into this six weeks teaching from the pulpit and I say to him you know what Uh, the Lord has shown me I need to leave the church and I need to leave for these reasons and I I did that with fear and trembling you know because I sensed the Lord was leading me but I've also had enough experience to know that you know sometimes you can hear the voice of the Lord clearly and sometimes you don't sometimes you think you do only to find out later that you were hearing some other voice not necessarily the devil though that can happen sometimes it's the voice of your own desires 
And you know, I knew, I had grown enough to know that that was at least a real possibility for me. So what I did was I laid it out in front of him <clears throat> and I shared with him, you know what, my commitment, I, I, I reminded him of my commitment to the Lord, which was that I am not going anywhere. As much as I believe this is the Lord's direction, as much as I believe this is something the Lord is doing in my life, I'm not going anywhere unless you confirm it and unless the other elders in, in, in unison and with one voice confirm that this is what God is doing in my life. And my trust is that even though everything from a natural standpoint is pointing to the fact that you shouldn't leave right now, you know, God is just unfolding something for you right here. You're just beginning to develop a real fruitful ministry right here. Everything was pointing to that, but I had a sense that the Lord was leading me. So I laid it out in front of him and I asked him to go and share that with the other elders and then for them to pray and to get back to me and let me know. And that if their answer to me was, we unanimously agree that you should go, then I would go. And if they came back and said, you know what, we don't believe you should go at this time, then I, my commitment was, I'm going to stay. And if that was their discernment from the Lord for the rest of my life, then I'm willing to stay for the rest of my life. And that's what I shared with them. So they went and prayed, and they came back to me a week later and shared um, that the Lord had spoken to each one of their hearts, and that they believed that this was a new thing that God was doing in my life. And they wanted to bless me as I went forward, and they were thrilled that God was doing this thing in me and with me. And um, so they prayed for me in the next Sunday service and prayed for Sandy and released us to go on this new adventure down to Chatsworth. And that was 10 years ago, and I've been here since. And, and to me, the... the, the um, the result of what has happened in my life and through my life for the last 10 years is the testimony, the fruit of the fact that the way that I went about leaving the second place was God's way. It was God's design. It was, it was the way God would have us interact with each other in the kingdom. The way that I did it the first time and the year that I spent just out there floating around kind of searching for a connection and not really finding it and drifting and getting a little worse and worse every day in my own personal relationship with the Lord and not even realizing it, that was a testimony to me as I look back that, you know what, that's not God's way and that's not God's pattern. When God moves us, the, the scripture says, and I, I'd like to start here, it's in, it's in um, the book of 2 Corinthians. chapter 3 Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 <clears throat> Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now this is a, a basic principle of kingdom life and Christian life in the New Covenant, and, and it identifies in an overview way God's purpose for all the transformations and changes in our personal lives. But this doesn't exclude the changes on a practical level that God makes in our lives. When he moves us from one thing to another, from one location to another, from one commitment and, and relationship to another commitment and relationship. When God is in it, 
when God is in the change, when God is in the, the, the transition from one thing to another, the change will take you from a, a place of glory to a greater place of, of glory. The transformation will be something that, as the book of Proverbs describes it, the path of the, of the righteous man is like, um, is like the, the, the sun which dawns in the morning and grows brighter and brighter until the full light of noonday. As God leads you, if he is in the transition, your pathway is going to get brighter and brighter as you go forward. It's not going to get dimmer and dimmer as you go forward. And if it is getting dimmer and dimmer, you can be confident that that's a good time to stop and make a, a heart check as to, did I make the right decision? Did I decide in the right way? Did I follow the right principles? Did I, did I take the trouble to go through the right steps before I made this kind of decision? The first experience for me, no, it didn't get brighter and brighter. It got dimmer and dimmer, and it was the Lord's uh, mercy and grace to me that rescued me from, from a pattern that was taking me in the wrong direction. The second, um, it's been God's grace that while I was in a glorious place before, the Lord has brought me into an even more glorious place. And it's a broader place for me, and it's a blessing for me to be able to serve the Lord here in an even greater capacity than where I was previously. But it's the Lord's design, and my confidence was this, that if it was the Lord's design, he was able to speak into the lives and hearts of those individuals that it's God's purpose that they should have had something to say about that decision. He's able to speak into their lives and their hearts. Even though on a natural level, I really didn't anticipate that they would all see it. I really didn't anticipate that all those elders in that church would, would come to a, a complete agreement about it. But my confidence was in the Lord, not in them. My confidence is that the Lord was going to oversee the whole process if he was really the one moving me from one location to another. Now, beyond my personal experience, as I was thinking about this and, and kind of mulling over this the last couple of days, I thought about three individuals in my past. Uh, these are three individuals I can speak freely about. You don't know any of the three of them, but these are from earlier years in the Lord. And, and these three individuals all had their own impact in my life. They were all, at one level or another, not exactly mentors for me, but they were examples. They were models for my life. They were men of God who I looked up to, that I respected, that I appreciated what God had done in their lives. And in all three of these cases, these are individuals that, that uh, made a bad decision to leave a church for the wrong reason, in the wrong way, in the wrong time, and the result in their lives, by, by, um, by common testimony in the years following their decision, was that it produced no good fruit in them. And the sad thing is, um, for at least a couple of these individuals, one I've lost track of, I don't know where he's at now and what he's doing, but for two of these individuals, they never recovered from the decision that they made in the sense that they, they've lost something in God's purposes for their life. They've lost something by the decision they made. The first one was a, a brother who was an elder in the church that I, uh, one of the churches that I was visiting during that period of my visit. And I connected with this brother. I appreciated what God had done in his life. He was, he was a, a powerfully gifted individual. He was wholehearted in his service to the Lord. And um, like I say, he was an elder of this, of this particular body. Well, what had happened, and I don't know all the details to it, but some kind of controversy happened between him and the other elders of the church. And in this controversy, uh, this one brother that I knew and loved so dearly 
um, he became deeply offended toward the rest of the leaders of the church, and he made the decision that he had to leave the church. The other leaders, I know, did not agree with his decision, but he made the decision to leave, and he took his family, and he left. But because he was burned, I, I talked earlier about the, uh, the kind of caution that can come into all of our perspectives. He was not wanting to be quick to make another commitment. And I kind of lost track for him for a period of time, but about five years later, I ran into him over at Moore Park College one day. I was taking a course there. This is going back a number of years, but I was taking a course there to finish up a degree of mine. And I ran into him, and he, uh, I said, you know, gosh, Jim, what's, what's going on? How are you doing? And, and, you know, are you going to church nowadays? And, you know, this had been, like I say, five years from this decision he had made, and he had not made it back to a church in five years. And his, he and his family had just been drifting for, for that entire time period. Now, what was so tragic about this for me is that this guy was a powerful man of God, and he was being greatly used by the Lord in the kingdom at the time that I had known him before he made this decision. And then after that time, his, his own feeling was that he loved the Lord and he wanted to, you know, continue to walk with God and he would read his own Bible, you know, kind of in his personal devotional time and he would have some devotions with his family, but he just couldn't risk in his perspective the possibility of getting burned like that again. And so he was going to, his intent was he was going to stay out of church for the rest of his life. And the tragedy of that is what God's purpose for this man's life was. And the reason he gave him the gifts that he gave him was not just to go and only to share that with his family in a personal devotional time. Though they're intended to benefit from his gifts, God had so much more planned for him. And yet, this was a waste. And as far as I know, the last I heard, he never, he never since that time got reconnected. Another brother who was as close, I guess, to being a mentor to me as, of anyone that I ever had in the Lord. He was another powerfully gifted individual, zealous for the things of God, um, was really a, a motivation for me in my earliest years in the Lord to want to learn how to study and to, to pursue understanding in the scriptures. He had a love for God's word, and he was part of this same church in Thousand Oaks that I was part of. And at the time, that church went through some problems, and just like most every church will at some time or another. And during those problems, he and I would talk about those things, and we both had a common perspective about what we felt was wrong with the church and what we felt the elders were not seeing right and the leaders were not seeing right. And we both made a plan. What we're going to do is we're going to go individually and we're going to share our hearts with the pastor and with the elders of the church, and we're going to just lay out our concerns to them. And we both did that. And when I went, I shared those concerns, I laid them before the pastor, I wrote out about a three-page outline and handed it to him, and, you know, looking back now, I realize, you know, uh, what he must have been thinking about me when, when uh, I was handing him this three-page outline of all the things he needed to do to straighten out the church and all of that stuff. Um, you know, I, I have the benefit of, a, of being in the, other, in the other role now, and so I, can, I have a little fuller ex experience and perspective. But at the time, I, you know, with, a, with nothing but a good heart, I laid those things out before him, and then I just left them there with him, and I went and I prayed and trusted, again, that if, if God wanted to speak to him or the other elders through any of the things that I had written, that God was able to do that. God was able to use those things to communicate to their hearts. And so I dropped it there in a good way, and I prayed for them, and I went on and, and, and followed out my commitment and continued to grow in the Lord. I wasn't hindered by those problems. 
The difference with my friend was he went and had an appointment also, and he laid out his concerns, which were the same concerns, and his solutions that he was offering were the same solutions. But for him, what that appointment became was a confrontation and a headbutting, where he, when he didn't get immediately the kind of response that he wanted to get from the leadership, he couldn't handle that, and it became a challenge point for him. And it resulted in him spinning out of that church and leaving. And from that point, he went, you know, he, he just went off on a tangent. And, um, you know, he, I don't want to go off into the details of this man's life, but all I can tell you is this, is that his life went downhill from that point. And it wasn't just because of what he did with the church, but it was because of an attitude in his heart that he was unwilling to let go of. And his, it wasn't that his concerns were invalid, because, like I said, I believe he shared the same concerns that I had, and I thought mine were valid. But he wasn't able to let go of the idea that if they don't respond, if they don't do what I think they ought to do, they've somehow so horribly missed God that uh, we can't go forward from this point. I have to leave. I have to break fellowship. Now, the third example that I thought of was a younger brother in the Lord. It was about my age. He was about my age in the Lord also. And of all the people I've ever known in God, all the people in Christ that I've ever had fellowship with, I look back on this brother and I'd say, this is the most gifted brother that I've ever met. He had, he had it all. He had, he had an ability to teach the word. He had a musical gift. He, he just was an, an awesomely gifted individual. But what happened to him as he was part of a, the same church and and moving forward in the Lord, at a certain point in his life, he had, he had a character issue that needed to be addressed in his life. And the leadership of the church took the risk at one point of addressing this character flaw that was going on in this brother's life. And he didn't like it when that character flaw was highlighted and addressed. And he got so hurt by that being focused on in that particular way that he made the decision to leave. And from that point, again, like the first individual I described, from that point on, this brother, who is, of all the people I've ever known, most gifted and most useful in the kingdom in, in terms of potential, he never joined a church again from that point forward. And I, I mean, I, I hope he's part of a, health, a healthy part of a church now, wherever he's at. And all I can think is what a waste it would be if he would be spun out forever because of hurt feelings and feeling offended and, and, and things not going on a personal level the way he felt they should go. Well, all of this brings me to this point, which is this. This whole thing about leaving a church, I believe that there are right and wrong reasons biblically to leave a church, but so much of it has been, so much of our perspective as a people, and not just here at Chatsworth, I'm talking about throughout the San Fernando Valley, throughout Southern California, throughout the United States, and, and, and in at least some other parts of the Christian world, so much of our perspective has been impacted by the way the world looks at these kind of issues that we've lost sight in large part to the biblical perspective about what church commitment is really all about. Now, the best, the best example I can give you is this. Church commitment is intended by the Lord to be something like and understand what I'm saying here, something like a marriage. It's not exactly a marriage, because you know, in a marriage, when, when you say I do in the Lord, and you make a commitment, it's a lifelong commitment, and there are, there are no changes to that relationship, meaning you are, there is never a reason short of the one exception that the Lord Jesus gives 
Short of that one exception, there are no reasons to ever leave one marriage to go start another marriage, all right? So church commitment is not exactly like a marriage, but it's just one notch below that, I believe, from a biblical perspective. It's one notch below that, meaning it's, it's the kind of relationship that we, we describe in terms of covenant perspective. It's more than just um, like if, um, if I go to join like some business association uh, for, for helping my business. I may go and start meeting with a group of men to help my business and I'm part of that association. I may even sign up and pay my membership dues and, and attend on a regular basis. But if at any point I see that, you know what, this association isn't really helping my business, what should I do in that situation? I should end that association and go on to another association. In other words, the association only serves my purposes. It's only there to benefit me. And even by the definition of those associations, that's why they exist. That's why social clubs exist. They exist for the benefit of the individuals that are there and part of that thing. Well, church life is to benefit us. We all believe that. We are, we're all committed to that concept. But it's much more than here just for our benefit. Church life is all about God's purpose. It's all about what God has planned for us in the earth. It's all about how God connects us with the lives of other individuals for His purposes. So turn with me from 2 Corinthians there back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Basic principles of what we call church life or body life. I'm going to read just one verse. So I think what I would recommend to you if you have the desire to do this during the week is read all, because I, I want to focus on this whole issue of, of right and wrong reasons to leave a church again next week, and I want to get into some more practical details from the scripture, but I would recommend that you read all of chapter 12, because it really is, even though it's addressing principles that affect the universal body of Christ, they're absolutely principles that impact the way we live out our relationships on a local level with a local church situation. And I'll be reading 1 Corinthians 12, 18. It's talking about the body of Christ as one in the image of being one large physical body and the individual believers as individual members of that body. And in verse 18, Paul says this, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. Well, I see three things in this verse. There's probably more than that, but I see at least three that impact what I'm talking about. One is that it's God that places the members. At one point or another, each one of us made a decision to join Chatsworth Christian Church. We made our own decision to join the church. But the, the, the question that I'm asking us to consider is to draw back for, for a moment from that practical decision we all made in our own minds and hearts and consider what was God doing when we made that decision? Where was God in the making of that decision? What part did God play in the making of that decision to join Chatsworth Christian Church or any other church that at, at some time or another in your Christian life that you've been part of? For me, this verse forces me to consider that God was involved at this level, that behind and underneath and 
all around the decision that I was making to come and be part of Chatsworth Christian Church, God was purposefully working in and through my decision to get me to a place that He wanted me to be. God was placing me. Now, I don't know about you, my own experience, like I said, I, I sensed the Lord leading me in a time of prayer 10 years ago to come and be part of this church. For you, it may have been some other way. But I don't think any of us had an experience like there was, you know, flaming golden letters written across the sky, go and join Chatsworth Christian Church. We all had different senses from the Lord and different motivations as to what brought us here. You know, some of us may have been drawn because we liked the worship. Some of us may have liked the teaching. Some of us, you know, may have had a personal relationship with someone that was already part of the church, and that relationship was the primary motivating factor. But in and through and underneath all of that, what was God doing in bringing you here and placing you as a member of this body? And when we speak in terms of placement, what does that mean, not from our perspective, but what does that mean from God's perspective? What is God thinking when he's thinking to himself, I know what I'll do, I will take this individual and I will place them in Chatsworth Christian Church. What is the, what's the essence of that placement? To me, there's a, a, a committed relationship to that body that's, that's intended by the Lord behind that placement so that when he places us, he intends for us and expects for us to have a certain perspective about that placement, all right? So he places us in the body, and then he places us, it says, just as he desires, just as he desires, or just as he desired. The idea being that, that God has a, a pleasure a pleasure about that placement. In other words, there's something about us getting into the place that God designed for us to be that pleases God, that, that satisfies His desire, that accomplishes some purpose of God's heart. And the implication of that is that if we're in a place that we're not intended by the Lord to be, or if, like I was in my earlier experience, just floating out there and not in any place at all, not being placed at all in any committed relationship to any Christian church, what does that do to God's desire? How does that impact God's purposes for his kingdom? How does that impact his purposes for me to have a part in the kingdom in a particular way? So he places us, and he places us just as he desires, and what that implies to me is the place that he places us is where we ultimately belong. It's where we belong. You know, many times we wonder, you know, where, where do I belong in the Lord? Where is my home? Where is my spot? Where is the place? Well, it's the place that God places you using, working in and through your own thought processes and heart desires, but he works in and through that to get you into a location, and that location is what he desires, and that location becomes the place that you belong. Now, once you're there, the question is, you know, we're, and going forward here, I'm assuming at this point, and again, I, we have to go through individually, each one of us, to know this for sure, but I'm assuming that all of us who are here are in the place that we belong now. So the question is, moving forward from this place, when it comes time to start thinking in terms of, should I stay or should I possibly go somewhere else, what I think is uh, important for us to keep in mind is that 
there is a change that's happened in the Christian world, the Christian community, that is, is something unique and different than any prior generation, and especially different in contrast with what we read in the New Testament, like in the first century. In the first century, when you would, would go to visit a city, let's say you're on business, and you're, you're traveling from the city of Ephesus to the city of Corinth, and now it's Sunday morning, and it's time, and you know you're going to go and visit church. How hard is it going to be for you to find a church to visit in the city of Corinth? Do you pick up the, um, the Greek yellow pages, and you start flipping through, and you find, like, you know, if you were to pick up the, just the San Fernando Valley yellow pages, and you turn to church in the yellow pages, how many listings do you find? How many? I mean, just guess. It's just in the San Fernando Valley. There's at least, I know for a fact, there's at least 700 churches in the San Fernando Valley. How do I know that? Well, when we were involved in the Luis Palau Crusade, we had a listing of 700 churches because we were in charge of follow-up. We had a list of 700 churches to contact, and those were just the ones that were participating. There were a lot of churches that didn't participate. So I know there's a minimum of 700 churches. Now, the San Fernando Valley is, you know, it's a fairly sizable area, two million people and, and you know, a lot of geographic location. But uh, something's changed between now and what I'm describing, you know, the businessman traveling from Ephesus to Corinth and it's Sunday morning, he's going to go to church. He's only got one listing in the Greek yellow pages. That's the church at Corinth. Now, I'm not saying that uh, in some kind of uh, uh, Pollyanna-ish, fantasy, we should just pretend nowadays that there is only one church, because there isn't. There, is, there are many churches in the San Fernando Valley that God recognizes and acknowledges as his lampstands. But the question is this, for me, is that the proliferation of churches in a local area has subtly led, in our perspectives, and it's not just us as a people, this is a common perspective out there in the body of Christ, this subtle perception that, you know, they're just all out there for me. They're just all out there for me. And if I go to this one and it meets my needs in the way that I think my needs should be met, then I'll stay there for as long as those needs are met. But let's say for whatever reason it's not meeting my needs the way it used to or the way I think it should, what am I going to tend to do? Well, I've got 699 other choices out there available for me. I'll just, I'll just keep going through the list until I find the next one that meets my needs for the next period of time. But unfortunately, I don't believe that's God's desire for the body of Christ. I don't believe that's the way he would have us to relate to the concept of the church as a lampstand. And so what do we do with the idea that there can be times when we need to consider, and we have passed through a time where we as a leadership even encouraged everyone to consider, is this the place that God would have you to be? Is this the home that God would have you to be part of? Is this where you belong? We went through a, a self-evaluation process as a body. Now, for your consideration, I just want to take you real quickly through nine examples in the scripture, and I'm going to leave you here after these nine examples, and next week I'll get into some of the practicalities of all this, the, the nuts and bolts of when it's time to consider whether to leave or not. The, uh, the examples I picked out were, were new covenant examples. And part of the reason for these examples is because there really was only one church in any one location, but it's, I think it's more than that. I think the things that we need to consider about these churches tell us something about the nature of commitment to the local church in God's heart and in God's design. And that is this. Were there ever problems 
in the first century churches. You know, we tend to have, I know I did at one point in my Christian life, kind of a romantic view of the first century Christian experience, a romantic view, meaning that, you know, I look back and I say, oh, you know, if only, if only church could be like it was in the first century. Oh, if only we could be like the early church. Oh, if only, you know, church life could return to what it was in the book of Acts. And you know what? There are some things about the way church life was in the first century that we absolutely need to recapture. There are some things that were pure and simple and holy. But there were some other things about what was going on in first century church life. And let me just take you through a quick survey here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're right there in the book. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. So let's say you're part of the church in Corinth. Is that a good reason to consider leaving the church in Corinth? Hey man, there's some serious immorality going on here. Not even just normal average immorality. We're talking about immorality that's worse than what the world is practicing around us. Is that a good reason to leave? What does Paul say to the Corinthians? Does he say, okay, because of this immorality, it's time for you holy ones, the ones that haven't compromised yet, it's time for you to pack your bags and head on down the road to the second church of Corinth? Is there such a thing? See, the problem is, since there was only one church in each location, their choice to leave would force them to move to another city. And you don't see any time in any of the New Testament letters where that is the counsel given by the apostles to the believers that are part of a struggling church. So what does he counsel them instead? Well, we won't go into details on this, but what he counsels them is to fix the problem. Deal with the problem. Quit hiding over the fact that there is a problem in your midst and get to work dealing with it. All right? So the church in Corinth had a problem with serious immorality. Galatians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3, Paul says to them, and by the way, this was a whole region of churches. It wasn't just one local church body. The region of Galatia uh, encompassed several local church bodies, but they were all struggling with a similar problem at this time. Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was public, publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What was the problem with the Galatians? Major problem with legalism in the church. Serious level problems with legalism. You read back in chapter 1 and it was legalism of the worst possible kind. So much so that the, the gospel itself was even in danger of being undermined. If there's ever a, a church or a series of churches that that we would tend to think, oh, I'm out, of the, I'm out of here, I'm out the door. It's over. I'm, I'm gone. This would tend to be the church. The gospel itself was being threatened. So what does Paul counsel the Galatians to do? Deal with the problem. Deal with the problem. All right? Ephesus, Revelation 2.4. We've read this before. I'll just read. And you can follow me if you like, but I'm going to go quickly through these individual verses. The book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 4. The letter to the Ephesians. But I have this against you. This is the Lord Jesus speaking to the church. I have this against you that you have left your first love. Here's a church that had a lot of good stuff going for it, as I've, I've addressed before, but they had one major problem. 
They left their first love. What was their first love? The Lord himself. They, this church was struggling with loving God. The whole church. What do you do with a situation like that? Do you bail out? What do you do? Do you head out the back door? What does the Lord counsel them? He says, repent. Get your act together. Change what you're struggling with as a church. You're committed to one another. Fix the problem. The book of Colossians, chapter 2. Verse 8. Paul writes to this church and he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. What was the, 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 uh, the spiritual issue facing the Colossians? They were yielding themselves to a brand of teaching that later became known in history as Gnosticism. It was a, it was a dangerous, dangerous blend of spiritual mysticism from the world and uh, legalism from the Old Covenant. And those two things blended together and mixed together was undermining the very foundation of this church in Colossae. So what, is, what does Paul say to these people to do? Same exact advice to them as to the others. The uh, book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3. I'll read from verse... Six. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. What was going on here was there was a whole segment of people within the body that were leading what Paul is calling an unruly life. And the unruly life simply was this. They were, they were living off of the good graces of their fellow believers. They weren't working. They weren't being productive in their life. They were being lazy, and they were taking advantage of the good, uh, kind-heartedness of their fellow believers and uh, eating other people's food instead of being productive for themselves. There was a whole segment of people in the church that had this problem of unruliness, what Paul calls leading an undisciplined life. All right? The book of uh, Revelation again, chapter 2, and we'll end up in the book of Revelation with these last four examples. The book of Revelation, chapter 2. This is from the letter to um, the, the church at Pergamum. Chapter 2, verse 15. Thus you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The teaching of the Nicolaitans was a, a, an incredibly dangerous teaching in the church. It was a blending of ideas that it was spiritually allowable to compromise in ways of what the Lord identified as idolatry and immorality. But understand this, somebody in the church was actually standing in front of the congregation and teaching people that it was okay to compromise in idolatry and immorality. That's how serious the problem had become in Pergamum. What I'd encourage you to do is read the rest of the letter, find out what the Lord says to the others who hadn't been corrupted yet. And then from Pergamum, look at Thyatira, chapter 2, verse 20. The church in Thyatira, the Lord says this, he has one thing against them. I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent of her immorality. 
That's a pretty serious problem going on in the church, folks. I mean, I, I hope that we never have to face problems quite this serious as a congregation. We've gone through some serious problems in the last five months, but I hope we never have to face something quite this serious. But these people were, and the Lord is giving them very specific counsel in the midst of this kind of a church problem. All right, let's look at the last two. Revelation 3, verse 1, the church of Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, about the worst problem a church can face is being dead, I would say. You know, once a church has reached this category that it's not just, you know, how it is. Uh, we all have cultural preferences for certain kinds of worship, for instance. And if you're used to a lively kind of worship and you go into a church that, that may, and they, they, may, they, they may be solid in every other way and they may have, you know, deep teaching, but let's say the worship is just kind of, you know, flatline. Have you ever experienced that before? You know, we might tend to think and say about that, well, the worship was dead. But this is something much worse that Jesus is describing here. He's not just describing that, you know what, I don't like your worship style. He's saying, you have a name that you're alive. In other words, other believers around you think that you're alive. You may think that you're alive, but you are dead. This was the Lord's own evaluation of how far this church had digressed as a congregation. It's a dead church. Now, you would think, I would think, the first thing the Lord would say immediately after that is, if any individuals are still alive in there, head for the hills, get out as fast as you can. But what does he say to the rest? You read it on your own time. Laodicea is the last one, Revelation 3. This is the one that we're all familiar with. It's a very common, commonly quoted passage. Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So this church was a lukewarm church which in some respects is, you know, it's got to be as close to being as bad as, as being dead because here the Lord is so upset with what's going on with the church that he's threatening even to, to spew them out of his mouth, all right? I wanted to just briefly go through these as an overview, a kind of a survey of the fact that in our romanticizing of the first century, it's, it would be easy for us to lose track of just how serious the problems were in many of the New Testament churches. Now, not all of them had these kind of problems. There are a handful that were in a healthier place and did better in the Lord. But when the churches that did struggle got into these struggle points, what was the counsel of the Lord to the individuals that were part of that church? Because understand, our basic principle is this. The Lord places the members of the body in the body just as he desires. Do you think it caught the Lord off guard that he had placed somebody in the church of Sardis, which was about to become a dead church? And why would God do that? Why would God put a good-hearted young believer in a church that was about to die spiritually from the Lord's evaluation? Why would God put a good-hearted young believer in a lukewarm church? Why would he put a young believer in a church that was going to be compromising with immorality or idolatry? What's the Lord's design in that? What's the Lord's purpose in that? Well, I believe it's this, is that, you know, just like in a marriage or just like in a family's circumstance, 
When we come into the problems of life as a, as a marriage or as a family, that's not a signal to bail out. That's a signal to do what? Press in. It's a signal that, hey, we need to pay attention to some stuff here, folks. It's a family. There's things going on that we need to, to stir our hearts before the Lord and get before the Lord as a people and get reconnected with each other in a, in a, more, in a more spiritually authentic way and find out what the Lord would say to us as a people and make whatever adjustments we need to make in order to be receiving from the Lord the kind of evaluation that he would be able to say, you know what, I'm pleased with what's going on in your midst. I'm happy with what's going on. You are fruitfully accomplishing in your midst the things that I would have you to accomplish as a church. So next week, I intend to go into this stuff in a little bit more detail, get into some of the nuts and bolts. And um, even though I've shared this in the way that I have, I absolutely do believe that there are times when it is a right thing to leave one church and go to another church. But I want to talk to you about what I think those right reasons are, and I don't think there's a whole lot of right reasons to do that. And I do think, though, there are a lot of wrong reasons to do that, that at one time or another we could all fall prey to. So I want to just overview that for our benefit and for the benefit of all that we interact with. So let's, uh, at this point, put a stop there and we'll pray and, and uh, see what the Lord would have for us.